Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey everybody, I'm so glad you're here for this episode of Sex, Love, and Addiction. You know, I try very hard to bring you people I think are groundbreakers, icebreakers, and you guys know this, people who are leading the psychotherapy and addiction field in new and different ways or reinforcing things that really help. And I ran into the work of Jenna Remersa. Did I say that right, Jenna? Yeah, it's a Remersma. Okay, thank you. I would never ask in the middle of a podcast how to say that, but I'm not very good at names. So thank you for saying that. Mm -hmm. Um, Jenna is a Harvard-educated therapist, speaker, and a best-selling author. She is founder and clinical director of the Atlanta Center for Relational Healing and author of the popular new release, I love this book, All Together You. Jenna is a CSAT supervisor and on the teaching faculty for the International Institute of Trauma and Addiction Professionals. She joins us today to talk about the kind of world that she lives in, the the shifting idea that all the parts of us inside of us are good and learning about the different parts of us and building relationships with the different parts of us inside and to understand how the truth of our goodness changes everything in our approach to healing from addiction and betrayal. Uh, Welcome, Jenna. Thanks, Dr. Rob. I'm glad to be here. Well, I'm so thrilled you're here because I read your book and I thought this is something we need to talk about because (laughs) this is rapidly... These idea of internal family systems and the ways that you work, it's been around a long time, I'm sure of it, because I remember even when I was in grad school, people were talking about this. So can you explain what this whole concept is and maybe what it was, what it's evolved to, and then maybe we could talk about addiction? Absolutely. Well, Dr. Richard Swartz is a fairly groundbreaking family systems therapist who about 30 years ago began to really listen to his clients as they were describing their struggles of not being able to overcome, in his case, eating disorders. And as he listened to them, he realized that they were all saying something very similar, which was that they had parts at war. One part of them wanted to be slender and wanted to gain approval and another part of them wanted to eat. And those parts were at war. I don't know about those parts at all. (laughs) None of us can relate to that. And so from those sort of humble beginnings, he began to develop this awareness that in fact, we all are comprised of many different parts. And as he began to explore further, he made this really shocking discovery that all of the parts of us are in fact good 
even if they're stuck in bad roles, if they're stuck doing things to cope that are not effective, things like sex addiction or eating disorders or self-harm. And by doing so, he really began a, a whole new way of understanding ourselves and of approaching the areas where we struggle the most. And I have just found it to be life-changing in my clinical work, in my personal life. And so I wanted to write the book, All Together You, to bring that healing message of internal family systems to the average person on the street who is struggling and would like some help and who also would like to understand how this applies to their own spiritual lives. So before we even kind of get into the addiction part and what is, because I hear you saying parts and I think, oh, I remember Sybil. I remember this thing where somebody split into all these parts and these parts don't know themselves. And, you know, they kind of wander around under like, I lost time. I don't know where I was yesterday, but you were here. Well, there's another part of you was in charge. So I don't think that's what you're talking about. Can you give us a little bit more background and understanding of what you mean by our, the different parts of ourselves? Sure. And that concern is one that many people have when they first are exposed to this information. They think, are you saying that I have what we would call in old school, multiple personality disorder? (laughs) Today, it's called dissociative identity disorder. Are there three of me that I haven't noticed? (laughs) Exactly right. Mm -hmm. And what I say to people is, yes, (laughs) you may not have a dissociative disorder at the high end of the spectrum, but it's perfectly normal for all of us to have parts. And we know that intuitively because we talk that way. We will say things like, oh my gosh, I have this committee in my head. Or we'll say, you know what? A part of me really wants to eat that Oreo cookie, but another part of me would like to fit into my jeans for the party on Friday. So we intuitively get that we're not just one monolithic being with one feeling, one desire, one goal, but we're actually complex individuals, all of us made up of many different parts that each have their own personalities, their own objectives and goals and feelings and sensations. And some of these are known, right, Jenna? Like, for example, when I went into the field of therapy, they told me that I was going to have to develop a professional self. And that meant something about a part of me that I didn't know before, but that would have to act in a certain way, present in a certain way, look a certain way that was really related specifically to my work, but probably, and that came out of who I am, but probably wouldn't show up in other parts of my life in the same way, except for work. Is that kind of what you mean? It's a little bit different than that. We all have many different parts, and the theory is that when we start out in life, those parts are uniquely who we are. They sort of comprise our personality. So you might have a playful part, and I might have a studious part, and someone else might have a part that's particularly skilled with engineering, and they're free-flowing natural parts of our personalities that make us who we are. But the theory is that at our core, we each have a self, and that self in every human being is always there all the time, and it is always healed, whole, positive, and possessing healing power. Many world religions have a name for that in Christianity. It's known as the God image within or the Imago Dei. It's also known as Atman in Hinduism, or Buddha, or Prana, or Chi, the life force. But there's a sense that there's this deep core that's who we truly are. Can I ask you a question? Yes. You say there's a deep core that we all are. Does that mean that transcends 
all these different parts that kind of runs through them or, or that is that our, our ideal self, or could you say a little more about that? It is actually, if you can imagine a pillar, let's say of, let's imagine that it's created of light that almost runs down the center of you. It is the essence of who you are and who I am and who every individual is. And it is always, all the time, comprised of what IFS would call the eight C's. So those are the qualities of being calm, clear-minded, compassionate, curious, courageous, connected, creative, and confident. Oh, that's me. And (laughs) that's there all the time. But what happens is our separate parts that are different from ourself, they jump up and obstruct our access to the self. And they especially do that when we go through trauma or challenging situations. And that can be kind of capital T trauma, like physical, verbal, sexual abuse, or neglect or abandonment. Or it can be a little bit lowercase t, like things that many people go through, perhaps bullying or a sense of isolation or rejection. But when we go through those difficult times, our parts become burdened, which means that they lose access to their natural positive qualities. The eight C's. Uh, Well, the eight C's are the qualities of the self. That's the core. But let's say I have a part that is separate from myself that is playful. It's a childlike part. And let's say I go through some type of early childhood trauma. Perhaps I have an alcoholic or abusive parent. My playful young part now becomes almost draped over with a burden of fear and a trauma message that perhaps I'm not safe or there's no one available to meet my needs. So I lose access to my ability to play because it's covered over by this burden of trauma. So when I get in an environment as adult that reminds me of that early childhood trauma, that part of me that is burdened with that trauma message jumps up. I instantly get flooded with fear and a sense that there's no one here to help me, and I lose all access to those eight C qualities. Now I'm flooded by that part that we would call in IFS language an exile. And so then I have a need for what IFS calls protector parts to come in and try to help me with that pain. So can I I break this down to a concrete experience? Absolutely. And I actually have one for you, and I'm not ashamed to admit it because it's part of being an addict. So really quickly, I'm only using myself to try to understand this better because I think I know what you mean, or at least I want to give an example. For me, some of the more painful trauma has to do with being abandoned and a mentally ill mom who was in the hospital, psychiatric hospital, a year and a half. I was a year and a half. So, you know, abandonment by a powerful, meaningful role model is important to me, obviously. And about five years ago, I was sitting in therapy or in the waiting room and my therapist didn't show up. And why does it matter? I think we'd arranged the day wrong. I don't know. And I wrote her a note in the waiting room. I was like, where are you? And she texted me back, you know, today's not our day. And of course, obviously I needed to be there because I showed up, even though it wasn't our appointment time. But the minute I saw that text, I'm sorry, you've got the wrong day. I'm not coming. My head said, I want to go have sex with strangers. I want to get on an app. I want to, there was no, and just to say for me, I think the trauma is so profound. There was no feeling of sadness or loss. There was no thinking at all. There was immediately, now I'm a sex addict. So I know enough to say, gee, I don't think I was horny this morning. I think I had sex 
peak. I'm not, you know, blazing with testosterone. I'm an older person. So that probably doesn't make sense. And maybe it means something else and able to work through that with recovery. But the immediate response to that trauma was to disappear over there and just not look back. Does that have something to do with what you're talking about? That's exactly it. And what we understand is that things like sexual acting out or any form of addiction are the burdens that our protector parts take on to try to help us with the pain of the burdens of those exiled parts. And so we have proactive protectors that try to prevent that pain from happening. So that might be things like perfectionism, people-pleasing, control, And then we have reactive protectors, and they jump in when something has triggered that pain. And those are things like sex addiction, alcoholism, self-harm, dissociation, eating disorders, binge eating. So are you saying that those things that seem to be so damaging are actually trying to protect us? That's exactly what I'm saying. And that holds the revolutionarily gracious truth of IFS, which is all parts of you and all parts of me and all parts of everyone listening are not only good, they are well-intentioned trying to help us even if they've gotten stuck with a burden in a bad role. So the, the part that is wanting you to act out sexually is probably, if we did some IFS therapy with it, a good part of you that is perhaps longing for intimacy or for connection, but it's gotten burdened in sexual acting out. So when that abandoned exile floods you in the moment that you're in the waiting room and and it feels like mom's gone to the hospital and I'm desperately alone, that sex addicted protector jumps up and says, I'm here to save you. I know how to get connection. And it wants to go and act out. What we learn in IFS is that our response to our parts usually is the opposite of what we want to do. We tend to move against. Meaning, explain that. Yes, we want to shame our sex-addicted part. Oh. We want to move against it. We want to stop it. Because it's bad and it's doing things to hurt us. Yes, so we think, I'm so bad. I'm such an addict. I should be so ashamed. I want to stop that. I have to get rid of that. Exactly. Whereas Mm -hmm. the more effective way to actually deeply bring healing to that part, and again, it's so important, I'm not saying let this part go act out and do whatever it wants because the sex addiction part is good. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is recognizing this is a wonderful part that's gotten stuck in a very damaging role. And when I recognize that, when it jumps up and makes me want to go act out, I can actually welcome it and say, oh my goodness, okay, I see that you're here. You're trying to help me. Can you tell me what you're worried would happen if you didn't make me go act out right now? Generally, we get this sense that that part says, you know what? I'm afraid you'd get flooded of the terror of this exile that I'm trying to protect you from that feels so profoundly abandoned. And I'm trying to help you not have to feel that. So actually trying to push the addiction away and the desires away rather than being curious and building a relationship with them is not useful. According to IFS and according to my clinical experience, it really isn't. Sometimes it works if we have strong enough proactive managers that they can kind of muscle 
muscle the sex addicted part down. But I really think this is the answer to why we have such high relapse rates in addiction, because we're approaching addiction treatment from the perspective of aligning with the proactive managers. And the proactive managers are trying to shame and control or spiritualize the the parts that are acting out sexually or with alcohol or drugs. And that just sets off a a parts war inside of us. If instead we could move with curiosity and compassion towards each of those parts and get to know why they're trying to help us in this way and where they learned how to do that and what they're afraid would happen if they didn't do this for us, now I'm developing a part-to-self relationship. And what's happening is that the part is beginning to see that my self-energy is actually much more able to lead me in effective ways when I feel flooded with abandonment than the sex-addicted part is. And the beautiful thing is the burdened parts are usually exhausted and they don't want to be doing what they're doing. And they're so relieved to know that there's an adult here on board who can actually help. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this Sex, Love & Addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com, that's seekingintegrity.com, or call us at 747-234-4325. I was thinking about uh, a treatment center where I worked, where we had a bunch of teddy bears in the play, in the game room kind of thing. There was this one teddy bear that kind of looked like a really ugly dinosaur. It had big ridges on his back and it was ugly colors. And I used to go into the group room and I would see the guys kicking this thing and throwing it at the wall and laughing at this particular stuffed animal. And I was like, hey guys, what's the wrong with that? And they'd say, well, that's our the attic part of us and we've got to you know, we don't care about that. We want to kick it around, throw it against the wall. And I would say to them, don't you realize that part of you is one of your best friends? That's the part of you that makes you aware that you're in trouble. That's the part of you that makes you aware you have unmet needs. And if instead of throwing it away and making it bad, you would pay attention and listen to it, perhaps you would be better able to grow. And I have a feeling that's something like what you're talking about. Exactly. That's spot on. It's really befriending the parts of us of which we are the most ashamed mm-hmm. and the parts that we feel are the most unexpressible. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. It's really connecting to our core self energy, which without any effort, when we're in our core self, we instinctively embrace all parts. It's not a trying to talk ourselves into it. That's just the natural energy that's there. And it's really about welcoming those parts of us that we think are the most unacceptable and loving them well and being curious about them. Because the reality is the behavior that part is engaged in is a trauma burden. It's not actually who that part is. And it's certainly not who the person is. And when we can see that, we can have deep empathy and compassion for the part that's just trying its best to help us with pain by acting out in a certain way. And we can help it to change its behavior much more effectively by embracing it with compassion rather than beating it up and trying to kick it out, which by the way, doesn't work because we cannot get rid of any of our parts. (laughs) 
it's kind of like binge purge, you know, I get rid of it, but it's going to be back with a vengeance. And so there, I'm never really rid of it. I just try to shut it up, but it's going to be back and have things to say, whether I like that or not. But I, I have another, I, I'm thinking now listening to you as a betrayed spouse and I'm thinking, okay, so you're telling me that her having sex with her ex-boyfriend and then her, you know, getting online and doing this and that, that that's supposed to somehow, and I'm going to misinterpret you here, that's supposed to somehow be a good thing. And I'm supposed to be respectful and think of that part of him that betrayed me and acted out or that part of her, I'm supposed to think of that in a good way. Well, that ain't going to happen (laughs) because that part of this person destroyed our relationship and I'm never going to have respect for that part. How do you deal with those kinds of kind of concrete issues from a perspective like a partner might feel? That's exactly right. And a partner should never be asked (laughs) to see that behavior in a positive light because Mm. it is not. The behavior is a trauma to the partner. And to the self. And to the self. Mm -hmm. It is a trauma to everyone involved. Mm -hmm. So what IFS is not saying... Internal family systems, you guys. That's what IFS stands for, internal family systems. Please go ahead. Sorry. Yes. What IFS is not saying is that all behavior is good. Ah. Clearly, that's not the case. As a matter of fact, many of these behaviors are categorically bad. But what it's saying is the intent of every part is good. And so I would not say this to the spouse about her sexually addicted or his sexually addicted partner's behavior. I would say it to them about their own trauma response. So I would say to the spouse, the rage that comes up in you, the denial that you are camped out in, the fear that floods you, those parts are welcome and it makes sense. And we can help to unburden those so that you're not as controlled by them. And it doesn't mean that the rage is okay. And it doesn't mean that the sex addiction is okay. It means that the part underneath it is trying very much to help the individual. And the part is a good part that's gotten stuck in a bad role. Okay, I'm just going to again be your kind of person on the street here listening to this podcast. And I'm thinking, what is all this stuff about parts and pieces? And, you know, this person's an adult. They made a decision. They did what they did. It hurt them. It hurt me. And I don't really care about how they're broken into little pieces because they look perfectly fine to me when they're asking for breakfast. So, you know, again, I think the this concept, which I deeply understand as a therapist and and in some ways embrace, not entirely, but in many ways embrace, I think for some people it would be hard to hear because it'd be easy to dismiss as some kind of therapy gobbledygook or something that we understand but can never really be helpful to them. Or they're dealing with very concrete issues like he hurt me, I got a disease. How do you help people transcend their sort of immediate experience and feelings into embracing a model like this rather than saying, oh, well, you know, that's just more therapy stuff kind of thing? That's really a lot of the reason that I wrote the book, Altogether You, because I wanted people who were drawn to this idea, which happens everywhere I go all across the nation when I talk about IFS, people are really drawn to this idea that all parts of them are welcome and that there's another way besides shaming ourselves that we can heal. And there aren't enough IFS therapists in the world and certainly not enough of us that specialize in addiction treatment and betrayal trauma to be helpful. So part of the reason I wrote the book and I'm developing an online curriculum for people to go through 
is to help the everyday person who may not ever want to come to therapy, who may not even be dealing with an addiction or significant trauma, but they would sure like to drop those last 10 pounds and they just can't seem to make themselves stop with the Oreos. Or they want to stop reacting and yelling to their spouse or yelling at their kid every time such and such happens. They want to be a better person. They want to be kinder. Exactly. We all have parts at war and they look different in all of us. For one person, it may be a part that wants to eat Oreos and another part that is terribly upset about that. For another person, a part of them wants to act out sexually and another part wants to be faithful to their spouse or their partner and dearly loves that individual. I'm thinking that what you're saying is so many of my addicts will say things like, I hate myself for what I've done. And I think what you're talking about is really shifting that conversation. What they're speaking from in that situation is the part of themselves that is polarized against the addiction part. So there is a part that hates their addicted part. It's a proactive manager. It's trying to keep their life under control. And the addiction is trying to help their life not have pain. And those two parts are at war. That's not who they truly are. Because when we are in our self-energy, there is no dynamic of hatred. There's no self-hatred toward any of our parts. All it means when we say, I really hate myself for acting out like that, it means that a manager part, a, a proactive protector part, has taken me over, and I'm speaking as though I am that part, and that part hates my addict part. I don't, but that part of me does. And I want to extend compassion and curiosity to the addiction part as well as to the part that hates the addiction part. They're both trying to help me. So when we are in our self-energy, we don't have hatred for any of our parts or anyone else's parts. And that's why IFS not only changes the game in addiction treatment and interpersonal healing and trauma, but it also changes the game when we're talking about inter and intra group dynamics. So what that means is if I'm watching CNN and there's racial issues or political issues on the television and I'm associated with one racial group or I'm associated with one political group, that dynamic as a group is the same as what's happening inside of me. And that's probably way beyond the scope of this podcast, but I talk about that in the later chapters of my book, and I actually walk readers through a deeply healing experience of working with their parts around group polarizations to bring healing to things like interracial conflict, interpolitical group conflict, something that our world needs desperately right now. So let me have a guess at what you just said. I think what you're saying is by extending these concepts out we can see all of humanity as meaning well, meaning to be good, perfect in its, in its own self, and that these parts that go to war with each other, whether it's racial or national or class or, or whatever that might be, that those are really just parts that have not been integrated or those are parts that are fighting for the fighting, but they really there's something underneath that they want more. In other words, cultural harmony is where we should be headed, but these parts are hanging out there creating drama. I'm just trying to understand what you said. 
Sure, absolutely. And culturally, when we are in our cultural best self, we have nothing but love, compassion, the qualities of the eight C's, curiosity, calmness, clear-mindedness, compassion towards other groups, especially those who don't look like us, talk like us, think like us. It's our burdened parts that have hatred or animosity or violence toward other groups. And when we understand that in a socio-political perspective, it's a game changer in literally every facet of life, which is why IFS is being used in everything from international peace negotiations to trauma and addiction therapy to children's movies in Hollywood. The Pixar animated film Inside Out was the idea of IFS parts made simple for children. Yeah, that was, I thought, a fabulous way of in a very simple and animated, light way, talking about the topic you're talking about. Because there are the, the angry guy inside and the sad person who cries all the time and the one who wants to go to war and all those different parts inside of us. And that is a, uh, say the name of the movie again, is a Disney film, I think. Yes, it was a Disney Pixar production and it's called Inside Out. Mm-hmm. What made you reference that particular movie? The variety of places where IFS is applicable, everything from large cultural wars to children's movies. It's just such a broadly helpful concept that it really does change everything. And so you wrote this book. I don't even know, is it your first book or have you written before? I've written academic scholarly articles before, but this book is very much not that. This is my first publication, and it's very much written in common language as if we're sitting across a bistro in Starbucks chatting over a latte together. And it's been amazing because as soon as it was released, it rocketed to the number one bestseller on Amazon. Congratulations. Well, thank you. I, I think it really, that speaks to the fact that this message of deep compassion and love and healing is so needed in every area of our world today. And so I'm very grateful that this message is out there and I can speak it to various audiences. It's really a passion of mine to help people connect with this deeply compassionate model. Do you have a, I'm going to ask you in a second where people can find you and how they can get more information and learn about the book. Do you do um, any kind of work online where people Maybe they don't live where you live or they're in another part of the country or world. Do you do any work where people could listen to your lectures or be able to interact with you so they can be educated better on the things you're talking about? Absolutely. My website, which maybe you can put in the show notes because my last name is difficult to spell, but it's jennareemersma.com has a vast wealth of resources, lots of videos where I show how the model works with pillows. I kind of illustrate it visually. I have a ton of podcasts and uh, webinars, Facebook Lives that I've done that really help explain it visually, as well as a link to the book, of course. And I'm creating with a professional online firm, a whole series of courses where people can sign up and uh, take the course online from everything from sex addiction, betrayal trauma, to suicide prevention, to just general IFS. 
for people who are just curious about it, but not really dealing with the big heavy topics. And those are going to be coming out in the next two to three months. And if people are interested in getting more information, they can sign up for the email on my website again, which is jennaremersma.com. And can you spell their, your name for them? You bet. It's J-E-N-N-A-R-I-E-M-E-R-S-M-A.com. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. You know, I haven't, these are concepts that I've worked with as a therapist and known about for a long time, but to actually see them being uh, again taken up and put out there in ways that I think give us a very clear cut way of understanding ourselves and healing is it's amazing because you're, you know, we, not everyone's going to make it to therapy, but these are concepts and ideas that can change people's lives by applying some simple principles to how they look at themselves and how they talk to themselves and how they look at themselves as a whole. So by the way, I have to tell you, I was thinking about, you have eight C's. Yes. I have four. Okay. Carrot weight, cut, color, and clarity. <laughs> Sorry. Perfect. Those are my four C's. But um, listen, Jenna, I hope that you'll come back and do more of this with us because I think there are many levels at which we can talk about this um, in terms of the spouse and the addict. And I was even thinking, and maybe I'm wrong, but we have so many war survivors, so many people with PTSD and war experiences. And I can only imagine how their different parts are at war, trying to tolerate the world that they're living in now compared to the world that they were living in when they were fighting. And I guess I wonder whether any of this work has been applied to PTSD or the, the VA, the vet uh, community. It has. And in fact, there are some fairly groundbreaking clinical trials being implemented right now uh, with chronic and complex PTSD that has been treatment resistant that is actually responding extremely effectively with uh, MDMA support and some other things. What we're finding is that, and I know for some people, and I'm speaking from Atlanta, so I'm in the conservative South, um, just the language of MDMA can be a little frightening, but that's a, that's a medication is it's a, it causes profound emotional change in a short period of time. It does. And it's being administered in a clinical context by facilitated um, doctors and therapists. And what we're seeing is that there is profound unburdening that is happening where in a single session or a couple of sessions, people who have suffered and struggled with complex PTSD that are has been treatment resistant are evidencing tremendous healing from these principles in these contexts. And so really the sky is the limit and we're seeing some very exciting research. My personal belief is that this is the next wave. Ladies and gentlemen, Jenna Romersa, I'm so grateful to have people who are young and excited about the field and have a vision that is working for them and that they're spreading. And your name has come up again and again and uh, communicating about what should we talk about next? What should we do next in the, on the podcast? And I agree with you. I think this is an expanding area of the work and I'm so glad you are on top of it. Tell us one more time how people can reach you if they want to find you. Absolutely. So my website again is jennaremersma.com, which is J-E-N-N-A-R-I-E-M-E-R-S-M-A. Com. And I would love to connect with anyone who is interested in learning more about the healing properties of this model. And the name of the book and when it's released, I think it's out already, if I remember. I don't think I got a pre-production copy. So tell us uh, how they can find that and basically very quickly what it is and what it's about. 
It is called All Together You. Great title. (laughs) And the subtitle is Experiencing Personal and Spiritual Transformation Through Internal Family Systems Therapy. And the book is basically a, a guide for personal journeying through the IFS principles for the average everyday person, not only for their common struggles, but also touching on issues of spirituality and particularly people who have felt disenchanted with their faith or traumatized by their faith community or shamed by certain denominations or certain theologies. IFS really helps us to have a healing way of understanding that and approaching that. And so it integrates not only common struggles and trauma work, but also the spiritual component to help us access our true centered spirituality. Altogether, you. Thank you so much, Jenna. I hope you'll come back and join us sometime soon. There'll be lots of questions about your work. I guarantee it. Thanks so much, Dr. Rob. It's a pleasure to be with you. We'll talk to you guys soon. I just know it. Bye for now. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.